After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Coming to the end of another month, we head into March and spring. Spring is on the horizon. We should be really feeling the playoff push, but I guess we're not quite there yet. We're nearing mid-season. The calendars are a bit off. But sometimes so are the plays on the ice, which causes confusion, which is why we're here, really, isn't it, Josh? It's because of general confusion. It is, and it's a great opportunity to straighten this all out before the playoffs because heaven knows we don't want to have confusion in the postseason. So let's get it out of the way now and everything will be all clear, right? If only it could be so simple. But it's not. So that's why we're here with the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's powered by Team Stripes. They are your source for officiating equipment, training tools, and much more. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. GoTeamStripes.com. We welcome your questions and feedback via email. HeyRef at ScoutingTheRefs.com. And we've got one we'll get to a little bit later on. And we also appreciate you hitting us up on social media. He's Josh. Find him at ScoutingTheRefs on Twitter and Instagram. And you'll get me at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram as well. On this week's episode, sticks are not spears and shouldn't be used that way, in the line of fire, and well, it was only a matter of time, wasn't it? Goalie interference, front and center, it is really the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it, Josh? Sadly, yes, it is. And I'm sure, depending on your point of view, is also the gift that keeps on taking away. <laughs> yes, very true. And it's it's something that has a lot of, we could say, layers. We could say gray area. It's not essentially black and white. I don't know what sort of description you want to use, but it is something that does seem to be a bit of a recurring theme. It's, it's a judgment call. We know that goaltender interference has a whole lot of judgment calls around what happened on the play, what was the situation, how did everything transpire. It's more than simply just was there contact, but it's the context of that contact, which always makes it a challenge because no two situations are exactly alike. Okay, but before we get into the rules and the serious stuff, here's an important update on something that we talked about on last week's podcast, because we have got a lot of inquiring minds that want to know. I, I received a number of, of comments and questions and a few text messages about my nagging question on last week's podcast. I do now have an actual answer. I actually had a lot of responses about the virtual ads that television broadcasters now put on the ice just inside the blue lines. My question was why were these not rotated 90 degrees so that they were horizontal and much easier to read? So you ready, Josh? Here, I got the important information and the answer. I am ready. I've been waiting for this one to find out what the possible justification is. Well, I sought out the information first from a longtime television director in the National Hockey League and many other high-level sports. He has done network television. He's done local television broadcasts for uh, currently working for the Carolina Hurricanes. Paul Hemming, who is a big fan of scouting the refs, by the way. Paul checked into it, and he said the league wanted them to mimic 
the actual on-ice messaging that they have previously used on the ice, where they write NHL playoffs or Stanley Cup playoffs or something similar on the ice. The league wanted those virtual messages to mimic that. I still don't like it, but I, I, I guess I see what the league was initially thinking. Now, we're like a third of the way into the season, and I just don't get it. Those are one-line messages. Many of the ads that are appearing are two and sometimes three lines of type and often have graphics included with them and look absolutely ridiculous. Can we please stop this now? No. No, we can't, apparently. <laughs> We can't can't do that. Nope. No. And if there's a way to activate people, if you'd, if you'd like to express your displeasure, maybe this is just some nagging quirk that I have. I'm not sure. But I don't think so because of the response I received. A number of messages saying, could we please fix these ads? Now that I have pointed it out and is probably annoying even more people, they'd like to rotate them. Could we have some sort of social media call out to, to change these ads? I have not been able to take the focus off of those ads now that you've pointed it out, even just looking <laughs> at it and seeing, oh gosh, it, it seems so crazy to me. And I, I get we want to keep it the way it is, but hey, why not just do it right? Why not do it the right way instead of the way it's always been done? Hmm. Well... I think that applies to more than just the ads, Todd. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. But this is my thing. I, and you you came up with a couple of good uh, hashtags. If you want to use hashtag horizontal ads or hashtag rotate them 90, <laughs> I'm in favor of that. Use those, use those hashtags. Maybe we can get these ads turned around. Okay, a couple of quick serious matters first, though. How the hell has Philip Dano of the Montreal Canadiens not been fined or suspended? You, you posted the video evidence. He used his stick. He speared Tim Stutzlow of the Ottawa Senators over the weekend. There was no penalty, and th the incident was away from the play. I get that, but come on, man. This was blatant. He should be punished for that. I agree 100%, Todd. Whether it was intentional or not, it was negligent. It was a stick to the throat, and however that happens, it's not something that we should be allowing. Now, I'll give the officials a pass. Like you said, it was away from the play, so certainly something that could have eluded the referee's attention in that situation. So, fine. Fine. We, we give them a pass there, but player safety, what are you guys doing? In, in this situation, you've got a stick contacting somebody's neck, and it's something that if this was caught in the game, spearing and making contact, that's a major penalty in a game misconduct. So something that has pretty severe penalty in game that I would have expected at least a fine or a one game suspension just to drive home that this is not the type of behavior you can get away with. It was missed on the ice, but hey, you should have received a major in a game. So we're going to make up for it now and suspend you for a game. Seemed reasonable. Apparently, player safety disagreed. I don't know. I, I thought that's a, a non-hockey play, something that I don't want to see as part of a hockey game, something I don't want to see for any player at the risk of injury in a situation like that. So I thought this was a, a missed opportunity for them to step up. You do have to be in control of your stick and in control of your actions, correct? And it, whether it was accidental or not, there should be a punishment inflicted on Philip Deneau. I, I don't know how he gets gets the pass on this one. If you want to give him a pass and just hit him with a fine for high sticking, okay, maybe you determined that it wasn't exactly a spear, but it, it fits under the definition there. And it's one of those things that I just I just don't understand how you let it go, especially for, you know, a guy like Deno of just being responsible for your stick, being aware of what's out there. And intent is not part of the rule 
It's just stabbing an opponent with the point of your stick blade is a spear, regardless of whether you intended to or not. One player who did receive punishment, we can debate the severity of it, that was Antoine Roussel of the Vancouver Canucks, who dropped his mitts, pounded a few fists into the face of Jesse Pugliarvi of the Edmonton Oilers a couple of days ago. Canucks were down 3-1 at the time. Roussel wound up with a two-minute roughing penalty and then got the fine later on. Now, Roussel... Dropped his gloves and threw punches. Pugliarvi never got his gloves off and was really a little bit tried to defend himself. Roussel got the only penalty on the play, and he's been fined twice previously. And I'm thinking maybe at this point, the two fines earlier didn't really take. So maybe sending the message of sitting him for a game should have happened. Again, I agree with you on this one, Todd. And I, I think that the penalty could have been a little bit harsher. I think you've got a guy dropping a glove and throwing fists at an opponent's face, bloodying him. There's no reason that the officials had to avoid calling a fighting major on Roussel for this. You don't have to have two combatants. It doesn't have to be matching majors for a fight. You can call one guy for fighting. You can give him the instigator penalty. You can term him as an aggressor in the fight. You can call it one-sided. And I, I think, again, this is a good opportunity to do so. This was a absolutely a one-sided fight and we've seen in the past when those types of penalties have been called and obviously it wasn't in this case but again this is the situation on the ice this is what was called not a hockey play uh, this is certainly a player safety issue and something that i would have expected player safety could have maybe said we don't want this we don't want these one-sided fights we could possibly sit you for a game but you know you've got a guy with a pretty long rap sheet of some pretty ugly offenses here i, I don't think the five thousand dollars is going to work Yes, his his two previous fines, one was for high sticking and the other was for biting. I mean, <laughs> maybe a suspension is in order. I guess, uh, you know, he's toned it down a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just the fists instead of the teeth this time. I guess. All right. On to other matters now. Uh, recently, we had another example of the officials are in play out on the ice and there are real hazards of being out on the ice. Linesman Devenberg was in the line of fire during a Stars-Panthers contest. Dallas forward Radic Faxa coming up the ice, fires the puck into the Florida zone, catches Berg in the left hand. He did stay until the play did come to a stop. He left and the rest of the game was worked by referees Tim Peel, Kyle Murchison and the lone liney Ryan Daisy. Boy, did he ever put in some extra laps in that one, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Tough, tough situation for Berge there. Uh, certainly taking a puck off the hand and going off for repairs. Didn't look good. I know he tried to finish that shift, but he was in a lot of discomfort. You could tell skating around there. So still no word on his condition, but hopefully it's not as bad as it looked on that situation. But when you've got that kind of injury, you've got to keep going. There's no standby officials in the regular season. So you've got the three guys that are out there and they've got to divide and conquer. So you'll you'll try to cover a little bit for the other linesmen. And Ryan Daisy, though, <laughs> trying to watch both blue lines, trying to watch for the icings there. It's it's a challenge and it's, it's a lot more skating. They did a good job with it. You know, you have veteran officials who've been there before and, and done this. So something that they're prepared for, something that they've trained for even more this season, Todd, just with the possibility that we could have shorthanded crews or, or situations where somebody was unable to go. So it's something that the league certainly prepares these guys for, whether it's injury, whether it's illness, whether it's w whatever the case may be. So they're well prepared for it. But yeah, it uh, makes for a, a little more mileage that night, especially for Daisy. Good for the three to uh, pick up their teammate and finish that one up. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes. It's your source for training tools, apparel, officiating equipment, and much more. GoTeamStripes.com is the website to check out. Okay, so we circle back now to the topic that 
keeps popping up on a regular basis here on the Scouting the Refs podcast, and that is goaltender interference. The Habs and Sens were once again playing this past week. The Canadiens had come back from a two-goal deficit to tie Ottawa, and then late in the game, it appeared Brendan Gallagher had tipped the puck by Matt Murray. With only seconds remaining, the Canadiens would get the win. But wait, it's the final minute of play. So it's the league office in Toronto that initiates the review. I just can't bring myself to say situation. It just makes me. <laughs> I know you're not a fan of that. Okay, okay. so they they so they they have a look at it for goaltender interference, and Gallagher is ruled to have prevented Murray from regaining his position. No goal, and to make matters worse, of course, the send score in OT and get the winner. Now, this of course is just piling on because of the double review that happened a few days earlier in the Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens game. So let's go back to the first incident, and let's talk about Montreal and Toronto first. The double review. Now, it wasn't really a double review because there were two separate issues. First off, did the puck enter the net? And then it became the coach's challenge. It seemed like Craig Simpson actually knew the rule who was the analyst on the broadcast and good for him if if he had better expressed it i think it would have been a little bit clearer to everyone but listen to this quote from kasperi kotkaniemi on the play quote in my opinion i think it was a good goal i'm not a hundred percent what the rule is for that but as long as i've been playing i think it should be a goal so he doesn't even know the <laughs> rules and this is a problem it is Again, I can't stress the importance of players knowing what the rule book says. I know there's different interpretations, there's judgment calls, but you've got to at least know what the rule is on the play, especially when pushing the goaltender's pad into the net is a specific part of rule 69.7 for disallowed goals. Seems pretty simple. So in the in the incident between Toronto and Montreal where the 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 officials on the ice discussed, talked about, looked at it, had some conversations to confirm the fact whether or not the puck did cross the line. That was what the first conversation was about. It wasn't a review per se. Am I correct there? That's correct. And that's what hockey ops is looking for on those types of plays. They can't review goaltender interference. They can't review missed stoppages in this situation. This is purely, did the puck cross the line? Potentially, it could have included, was the puck kicked in? Was the puck deflected by a high stick? Those are the typical goal reviews, and that's all that they can look at in this situation without having a coach's challenge for those other things. So they're not looking for offside. They're not looking for goaltender interference. This rule is purely, was this a legal goal pursuant to the rules of the puck crossing the line legally? So that was the first review. And I, I think Understanding that gives you a, a different perspective on why the second review and the coach's challenge needed to take place. Because on the ice, it was ruled that the puck had crossed the line, which meant it was a goal. They did not make a determination that there was goaltender interference. As far as things stood at that point, it was a good goal. Then the burden shifts to the Maple Leafs coaching staff, who must decide whether or not they will challenge for goaltender interference. And that's the challenge that was initiated. Right. And that's the division of reviews that's set up in rules 37 and 38 for video review and coaches challenge on how this works. Some people were frustrated that it wasn't all part of the same review. You know, they've already looked at it. Why didn't they consider this? Because that's not how the process was designed, at least during regulation. If this had taken place in the final minute of regulation or in overtime, they're automatically reviewing all these plays. So they're looking for 
everything in those cases. But during the other times, during this moment or, or other parts of the game, that's simply not how it works because that's not how it was designed to be done. That's what the coach's challenge is there for. And again, the coach has to specifically decide what they're challenging on. They can't just say, I want to challenge the goal. They have to say it was goaltender interference. It was a missed stoppage. It was an offside. So the process is designed that way, and that's how it worked. It's not one review. It's two separate reviews, but two different lenses that the league's looking through when they're making that decision, which ultimately was made by the NHL's situation room. Sorry, Todd. It's <laughs> okay. It would, it would also seem that the, the rules are set up this way and written this way, again, except for the final minute, that it's to prevent to, or to try to prevent too many reviews from happening and too many challenges from happening. We just wanted to make sure the puck was in. Yes, it's in. It's up to the coaches now. If you're going to initiate it, then we'll look at it and you will pay the price potentially if it's a frivolous challenge or it's ruled to be not not to ruled to be goaltender interference. This is this is again maybe to appease those that want to try to limit reviews. Right. And and you've only got one shot at it as well. You you can't challenge it for interference and then come back and say, "Well, you know, we want to challenge for offside also or we want to challenge for something else." You You've got to pick what you're challenging for. And goaltender interference is one of those things that they deemed not part of the video review process, but something that would be handled in coaches challenge. And prior to this, there were concerns about video review. Now people are, I guess, getting comfortable with the review process and the challenge process to even comment that, hey, this should have all been done in one review. Well, now you're reviewing every goal for that. And I know we're going down that slope of more reviews, which nobody wants, right? Well, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but that's another that's that's another episode, I think. All right. Let's move on to the Brendan Gallagher play now and what proved to be the final game coach for Claude Julien behind the bench of the Montreal Canadiens. To me, this was one of those 50-50 calls. I I could really have seen this being ruled either way. The the Habs and Montreal media are freaking out because of the whole crazy situation that occurred a couple of days earlier and it's just and, and Montreal's been playing terribly as of late and they've had some bad breaks and they've they haven't played as well as they did in the early part of the season and I I understand the frustration but this is goaltender interference. It is not on or off like a light switch it is open to interpretation on every specific call that's it and there's that continuum of did the goaltender have the ability to play his position in the crease well you need to define how much could you impede him or in this case how long from after the contact that was made which clearly there was contact in the goal crease how long does the goaltender have before he's able to reset or able to play his position? And I, I think that's the gray area that we get into here. I don't think anyone will dispute that there was contact. You could argue how that contact took place. Uh, Gallagher didn't skate in independently. He wasn't necessarily pushed in. He was battling for position. He didn't appear to make any effort to avoid going into the crease. So if we give him the, the benefit there and we just say, okay, he's in the crease, there's incidental contact at that point, it's no question we're waving off the goal. It's hands down. If the puck is shot then and goes in, it's going to be no goal. There's contact. The goaltender's down. Gallagher's down. It's that time from after that contact when Gallagher gets back up to his feet or when the goaltender is, is getting back to his feet and recovering there. How much do you give him to consider that he has recovered or, or reset himself to rejoin the play, Todd? 
That's part of what Brendan Gallagher was saying afterwards. Look, I had a chance to get up and set myself and and tip the puck into the net. How come it's not the same for the goaltender? Well, it isn't the same for a goaltender in just about every set of circumstances. It's a lot harder to regain your feet when you're wearing those big pads, even though they've reduced the size of them, allegedly. And if, if it's a full yard sale, it takes even longer to gather your equipment and, and get yourself situated. A player gets up a lot faster than a goalie. Absolutely. And there's more that you're worried about as a goaltender. You're not just concerned with getting to your feet. He's got to reassess where the play is, where the puck is, what's going on at that moment. So I think it's it's different. I don't think it's fair to compare a player getting back to his feet and rejoining the play to a goaltender doing the same thing. Based on this play, Murray had... He got spun around. He's still in the crease. He's looking around for the puck. He has about three seconds from the time of the contact until the time the goal is scored. So is that enough? And if it's enough for him, maybe it's not enough for a different goaltender. So I think that's where the the frustration lies is how much time do you give him? How much time does he need? And what what do we consider goaltender interference after the fact? How long does that trail go? You know, we've, we've looked at late hits and there's definitely a, a clock of how many seconds after the player gives up the puck do you have to deliver a hit? We don't necessarily have that kind of timing. At least we don't have precedent for a set amount of time for NHL goaltenders when it comes to goaltender interference as it did in this case. So do you want to put goalies on a clock? Is that what we are suggesting is maybe the way to rectify this? I, I don't know if it's the way to go. I mean, I don't think they really put late <laughs> hits on a clock, but, you know, we did, no, we did arrive at a spot where a late hit is approximately six tenths of a second or whatever the, the, the timing may be. I don't think every goalie is going to react the same way. I don't think contact is the same in every situation. You know, you think of the equipment, like you mentioned, Todd, you're getting back to your feet. Did your pads shift? Do, are you losing your glove? Is your equipment still in place? Is your helmet knocked loose? You're you're assessing the status of your gear as you're getting back to your feet and making sure everything still feels okay. You don't want anything to be moved or dislodged or create a, a dangerous situation where you're losing your equipment. So I think it's it's a different set of circumstances every time. I think it's hard to do. And in, in this case, it made for a, a challenging review, but one where the officials and the league felt that there was not sufficient time for the goaltender to get reset. And I have no doubt that there would be far less outrage if one of the challenges had gone the Habs way <laughs> as opposed to the other, don't you think? I, I think so. I think, you know, you start to feel like the league's against you. And I even heard on social media people rallying. I mean, they, they're always rallying against the refs. We we know that the oh, refs yeah. are out to get every team, uh, even, yes. even out to get Seattle, who haven't joined the league yet. But... <laughs> I was hearing conspiracy theories that the Situation Room is based in Toronto. So that's the problem is that the, the league is based in Toronto and these guys are in Toronto and their kids are probably Toronto fans, which means they hate Montreal. So the, the conspiracy is that the room is full of Leafs fans and everything will go against the Habs because of that. And, and we should break this up and scatter them to the ends of the earth and have the Situation Room run virtually with people from all different cities, states and continents. And I I had to laugh at that one. Just, wow, it's it's gone that far. But yes. that's that's a bit of a conspiracy theory now, isn't it? OK, so here's actually well, there's one other situation from the last weekend with Montreal and Toronto that we got an email about that I want to get into from Paul said, uh, Montreal gets a penalty at 19.04 of the first period. This penalty expires at 1.04 of the second period. Then Montreal takes a delay of game penalty at 19.45 of the first. Matthew scores at 1.05 before the first penalty has been killed off. Matthews should negate the delay of game penalty, i.e. they should be at even strength. What am I missing? Thanks for the question, Paul. It's a, it's a good one to point out this little quirk in the rules, if you will. 
Great question, Paul. That is a good one. You are absolutely right. Checking back, uh, Matthews did score at 103 with one second remaining in the two-man advantage. So it was actually a five-on-three at the time he scored. There was one second left. So his goal wiped out the Mete penalty, leaving Sherratt's still on the clock, putting them at five-on-four. Had he scored a second later, it would have been a five-on-four, would have wiped out the remaining power play, and the teams would have been at even strength. So it was a matter of seconds. And from what I understand, I think the box score actually had that time at 105 during the game. They, they'd since corrected it to be 103. So that's what the difference is there. But while we're on this, Todd, I know we've had a few questions come up around penalties and delayed calls and five-on-threes with additional penalties being taken. And, and one that came in around a question for a team that's already shorthanded that takes another penalty and then gives up a goal on the delayed penalty. When it comes to goals being scored on teams that are shorthanded, the overriding NHL rule is that the penalty with the shortest amount of time remaining is the one that gets wiped out. So while a delayed penalty call is typically negated by a goal, that only applies when the teams are at even strength. When you've got a situation where you're already shorthanded and that goal is scored, the player who's in the box gets released because that was scored on his penalty, and the delayed call is put into effect, so that player then heads to the box for the full two minutes. I think I understand. Shortest penalty goes first, even if there's a guy in the box. So it just changes the delayed call. Instead of negating the pending penalty, they say, hey, we already got a guy in the box serving a penalty. He breaks out and the delayed call or the delayed penalty then goes into effect for the, the player who committed the most recent infraction. Or no deed goes unpunished. No deed goes unpunished and the, the punishments will end in the order in which they were assessed. <laughs> I think that seems only reasonable. All right, so this this really does clear up a lot of confusion. Well, the, well, the goaltender interference, that is going to be an endless debate, I think. But I, I think this does clear up the confusion with regard to the delayed penalty. Oh, wait a minute, there's more confusion in terms of what should and shouldn't be punished from supplemental discipline from earlier. I, I don't know where we're going to go with this. You know what, Todd? There's there's plenty of things we can clear up. There's, there's some rules, though, that are always going to be a judgment call, always have that gray area and subject to interpretation. And then there's player safety, which I can't even begin to guess of the machinations that go into their decision-making process. And I think from my standpoint, I, I look at player safety as a great opportunity to right the wrongs that were missed on the ice due to whatever reason, especially when it comes to non-hockey plays or dangerous situations. So however they arrive at what they need to get to, I don't think we'll clear that up, but I, I, I do hope that they can help clean up things on the ice with fines and suspensions a little more aggressively. We'll be back to try to help right the wrongs with more next week. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at ScoutingTheRefs, Instagram at ScoutingTheRefs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com.